Welcome to Family Room Discussions, where I open up my family room to talk about the week's lessons from Come Follow Me. I'm not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I'm just an average Latter-day Saint seeking to grow my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures. Discussing Come Follow Me with others helps me in my conversion. I hope you'll join in the gospel dialogue by sharing your insights. Without further ado, let's start this family room discussion. Sisters and brothers, family and friends, this is episode 29, following along with What Wilt Thou Have Me To Do? Acts chapter 6 through 9. And in the introduction, it says, if anyone seemed like an unlikely candidate for conversion, it was probably Saul, a Pharisee who had a reputation for persecuting Christians. So when the Lord told the disciple named Ananias to seek out Saul and offer him a blessing, Ananias was understandably hesitant. Lord, he said, I have heard many, I have, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints. But the Lord knew Saul's heart and his potential, and he had a mission in mind for Saul. He's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So Ananias obeyed, and when he found this former persecutor, he called him Brother Saul. If Saul could change so completely, and Ananias could welcome him so freely, then should we ever consider anyone an unlikely candidate for change, including ourselves? And just straight into the lesson, uh, because I feel like that that introduction really is the uh, the bedrock of what we learned through 6 through 9. But in section 2, resisting the Holy Ghost can lead to rejecting the Savior and his servants, we learn of a disciple named Stephen. They called uh, the apostles. Uh, we're doing the work of, uh, of ministering and the spiritual work, and they recognized that they were going to need help. They couldn't do it alone, and they needed to be focused on the spiritual matters of the kingdom, not the physical. So they call seven men to be able to help them, one of which is Stephen, who helps uh, in the physical labor uh, during this, Stephen, who is full of the Holy Ghost, uh, a, a choice disciple, ends up ticking off the wrong group of people uh, who are ready just to, to have him killed. Stephen becomes the first martyr since Christ of the church and uh, stands trial. This trial leads to his death. Uh, but in it, he recounts the history from Abraham to the current time to where they're currently at. Uh, you can go through chapter seven and, and read all this, but I want to ask why, why did he use his opportunity to defend himself or to, um, to testify why he was innocent? Why did he take the time to recount the history from Abraham to the current time? And I believe that th through it, honestly, he's highlighting important lessons for us. Um, but specifically at the, at the moment he was doing it, he was trying to highlight lessons for the Jews that would carry on. Um, spiritual lessons for them to understand. But we can also from it learn about our own history. And uh, the reason it's important for us to learn about our history, for instance, um, like church history, our, our restored church history, and understand it, is that through the lessons of history, we, we see patterns. We see patterns of um, culture. We see patterns of uh, where we're at in the world. And even politically, there's, there's kind of this uh, repetitive history of things and how they go. For us, I think it's important to understand that I hear a lot of saints talk about how it's, it's time for God to come back it's time for the second coming because the earth is so wicked. It's never been more wicked than it is right now. And this is as wicked as it could possibly get. And so 
when when you dive in, when you start asking, well, why is it so wicked or or what? It typically, from what I've heard, it focuses on uh, the politics of our day. It focuses on the agendas of the day, whether it's um, LGBT rights and issues, whether it's babies' rights of uh, abortion or um, you know what counts as life, what doesn't count as life, and on and on. The, these issues tend to focus around where I hear people saying the, the world is so wicked that could not possibly be worse than this. I think at its core, when we go to focus on the why, the, the what seems to be going wrong or or right or so on, at its core, I think actually societies just stop choosing God. Um, I think that is the number one sin, that if we stop choosing God, then it allows everything else. So it takes on the... Uh, the face of wickedness, but it's actually we we messed up when we stopped choosing God or when we remove God from our lives. And that's the first step. And I think while it's true that many in society have done that, I would argue that there are also many who have not. They might not be following God perfectly, but they have not removed or rejected God, or at least not entirely. And so um, while we may disagree on political issue, issues or social issues. Uh, we may disagree with our neighbors on these things and uh, be combative about them and, and make our own judgments and say, well, because they don't agree on this issue, which I feel so strongly about, clearly the world is wicked and needs to be burned. Uh, what we really need to be asking ourselves is, are we making God the center of our lives? And are we trying to... Um, are we trying to help and understand one another to make sure that we are both focused on what God would have? Because that removes a lot of the conflict. Um, I know when me and my friends have seen gospel issues, for instance, in a different perspective. For instance, like missions. Uh, is, it is it mandatory for women to serve missions, yes or no? Um, I think a lot of people would have a gut reaction to be like, of course not, because the prophets have said so, which I agree. I, I don't believe it's mandatory. But within that, there's also um, different opinions. For instance, I know someone who says that if it's uh, mandatory for men, then it should be absolutely mandatory for women. And that's their stance. That's how they feel about it. If we have these disagreements, I think what helps us to not have contention, um, we can have disagreements, can have conflict, conflict being the the uh, the definition I'm using here is a conflict is where things aren't seen from the same perspective or we're not seeing eye to eye. We don't agree, but not conflict is in contention. We can remove contention and be able to deal with conflict when we keep God and Christ at the center of, of our experiences. And I think that's what society needs to remember. That's what we need to remember is that Many people truly are just trying to do their best, even though they, you, you know, you and your neighbor may disagree uh, passionately and violently, even about certain issues. If ultimately you are trying to do what you believe, or trying to, you know, carry out the work that God's trying to carry out, even if you view it differently, it does help you to see people in the best light rather than uh, as adversaries, and so. What can we do? I think we need to repent. We need to repent and humble ourselves and see the best in people, which is what we'll talk about in a second here with Paul and, well, Saul, Paul. Uh, 
because that's what has to happen if we are to survive the the coming days. I really think that's important. And then in Acts chapter 7, verse 52, this is coming to the end of Stephen's speech. Uh, he's recounted this history he's gone through, but he says, which of the prophets have, your, have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which shewed before or before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye now, ye, excuse me, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. And that's a powerful question. That's an inspired question right there. If they would have stopped and thought about that, which of the prophets had had the, the, the people not persecuted or slain? And honestly, there's not a single one that they hadn't. And so uh, leading up to Christ, where Christ was crucified, um, they had they had completely the the Jews in this at this time had completely lost sight of the own, their own doctrine, which they were so passionately defending and protecting. They lost sight of the point of it, of what it was supposed to lead to, and um, it was always you know the dead prophets were the most most important. They never wanted to listen to their living prophets, and I would caution that us as Latter-day Saints need to be careful to not do the same, to not continually look back to um, the prophets that have come before, that we need to hold sacred the words that are coming from our modern-day prophet. If you ever find them, that the that what you're hearing from our prophet uh, makes you feel uncomfortable or that it's time for you to change, that's the, that's the point of our modern-day prophet. It's to push us to... Um, help us come closer to Christ, which is going to cause us to have to change. And so um, don't just find those words that are pleasing unto you or the things that you're doing already that align so that you don't have to change. That's missing the point. It's missing the mark. Um, and so ultimately, the people uh, passionately and angrily and violently, uh, they kill Stephen. and becomes the first martyr since Christ in the new church or in the, uh, the organized Church of Christ. Then in section four, it says, when I submit to the, to the Lord's will, I can become an instrument in his hands. Actually, I lied. One last thing from section two. In the actual Come Follow Me, it says, what do you think it means to resist the Holy Ghost? Why does resisting the Holy Ghost lead to rejecting the Savior and his servants? And just going, I want to quickly go back to say that the Holy Ghost is our our, our fundamental guide into accepting our Savior and then accepting our Heavenly Father. And so if we reject the Holy Ghost, and Christ said this during his life, if you reject the Holy Ghost, then you're going to reject me. You know, you don't you don't accept the Holy Ghost uh, or, or you don't reject the Holy Ghost and then accept Christ. It doesn't work that way. And so... The reason we shouldn't resist the promptings from the Spirit is because if we resist those promptings, then we ultimately resist our Savior. And by doing that, we find ourselves in the enemy camp. And we don't want to do that. And so, okay, now in section four, when I submit to the Lord's will, I can become an instrument in his hands. And speaking of Paul or Saul, sorry, I just always jump to what we call him later. Speaking of Saul, uh, this young man was there at Stephen's um, martyrdom. He was there holding the coats as a witness to this. Uh, we don't necessarily know. I mean, to me, I don't understand 
how bad that is, but I assume it was it was pretty bad. He he talks about in his own ministry how he was one of the lead kind of he was kind of one of the lead prosecutors would go out and find these people. He says talks about he'd find men and women and uh, remove them from their houses, uh, so to speak, and 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 try them for their testimonies. So bad dude in that way, definitely an enemy of the church and opponent. So in Acts 9, uh, 15, it says, but the Lord said unto him, go thy way. And this is talking to Ananias of, of why Ananias should uh, be ready for Saul once Saul had his uh, road to Damascus experience. So the, but the Lord said unto him, go thy way, for he's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. At this moment for Ananias, you hear that and you've got, you've got to be like, are you serious? Do you know who this guy is? Are you positive? He's a chosen vessel. Um, think of someone in your life who, if you were to find out right now, if the Lord were to tell you through the Holy Ghost that that person is a chosen vessel, and it would shock you. And I can think of some people in my life who I'd be like, wow, did not see that one coming. This was a, a big moment. It was a big, I think, a challenge for Ananias. He listens to it, obviously. He, um, he accepts brother Saul, welcomes him, heals him, takes him in, and uh, follows the Lord's counsel. Because of that, I think he was able to see some of the greatest blessings because Saul does become one of the great apostles of the New Testament and one of the great um, testators to Christ's life. But at this moment in time, in current time, right, how? How in the heck does that guy become an apostle? This is the lesson for us that we need to understand if we are to be true saints. God does not judge um, us in our current state. He does not judge us for where we're at right now. Now, our actions are important because they lead to our future. Our, our current actions lead to our future actions. But God's able to see the transitions in our life that we can't or that others are going to go through that we can't see. Because of this, he knows our hearts. He knows, um, you know, so I'm sure you've had the opportunity where you've done something and someone has attacked you or judged you for it. And you were like, that's not what I was trying to do. I, I wasn't trying to, you know, you're, you're putting, uh, you're, you're put, putting a blame on something that I was not trying. I did not intend. My intentions weren't bad, Right. God's able to understand and he sees us for our, both our intentions and our actions and the, the consequences that those lead to. We do ourselves a disservice when we judge people without getting to know them or getting to understand them. Understanding people takes work. It takes a lot of work. It takes asking questions. It takes being with someone. It probably means getting hurt by someone, honestly, because you can't have a relationship without... Uh, without going through those uncomfortable moments, those pains, those, hey, you offended me. You you did something that I don't appreciate, right? Because to know somebody, you think of like being with your family and getting to understand your family members. There's a lot of pain involved, often. In my experience, there's a lot of pain involved. There's a lot of discomfort. Um, there's a lot of having to think outside of yourself and look outside of yourself. And so if we're to judge like God judges, then it means we need to treat people like family, which is giving people the benefit of the doubt. It means 
um, recognizing that we can't see someone's end from their beginning and that often the greatest way to be able to bring about those changes is through loving them. Um, you don't have to accept actions. Poor actions should not be accepted, but you can still love the sinner and and not reject them uh, because of certain sinful actions that they've taken. God didn't reject Saul, and because of it, Saul becomes Paul the Apostle, who becomes a martyr himself uh, at the end of his life. And so, and that's that's what we'll be reading through Acts, as well as through, obviously, many epistles and, uh, and works of the Apostles. And so I want to make that invitation to you, that find someone in your life who has made choices similar to Saul at this current time in the reading, Think of someone you've judged. Think of someone that you said, yeah, they'll they'll never make it. And I invite you to see them. Choose to see the best in them. Choose to see them in a righteous light or what they could become and, and help them become what God intends for them to become. It's probably going to be a family member or a friend. Uh, maybe it's a neighbor, a ward member. But I promise that if you do that, you will be able to see uh, great fruits come from that. So thank you for joining in my family room discussion, and until we meet again, have a blessed week.